0: For future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meet meat pod. Bye. Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner Podcast where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and today we're going down to Raccoon City because it's all about the 2002 soundtrack to the motion picture Resident Evil. You're
1: all going to die down here
0: released by Roadrunner Records in March of 2002. So we're at the 20-year mark. 20 years of evil right next door, residentially. We are going to be going through many songs that are featured on the soundtrack today by maybe some less conventional artists that wouldn't normally be on the podcast, such as The Crystal Method, such as Adema, and those are the only two. But in the meantime... Your very special guest, Ryan Rainbow. Hey, that's me. Is going to go through the other songs that are on this soundtrack with you. So the album opens with "My Plague," the new abuse mix by Slipknot. This was essentially a single off of their album, Iowa. The quote-unquote new abuse mix was just kind of a cleaned-up mix by Terry Date. that was released for radio, kind of some muted vocals in the sense of instead of them being like screamed vocals by vocalist Corey Taylor, they're kind of more sung, kind of like you would hear a lot on their following album, Volume 3. But he still does have the potty mouth on this one, so it's not quite Volume 3. And it does cut out kind of like the bridge near the end of the, the song. But basically a a radio edit for that song. And there was a music video for it. There was uh, basically like a live performance of Slipknot kind of interspersed with the clips from the movie. And hey, let's talk about the movie. Stars Mila Jovovich. Remember The Fifth Element? She had that cool hair that looks like Becky Lynch is trying to copy now. And uh, she works for the Umbrella Corporation, but is also facing off against the Umbrella Corporation, which is being personified by this little girl, Red Hologram. And there's uh, zombie boys and girls running around. And Based off the video games, Resident Evil, that I used to play in the arcade, you could grab the little gun situation and uh, shoot them up. First person shooter, they call it, but you know third persons can be involved second persons I, i'm not here to rank people all right if you want to shoot something with a toy gun at frankie's fun park then that's up to you so then after that we have the fight song slipknot remix by marilyn manson and this is a, a song off his Hollywood album their Hollywood album their meaning the band uh slipknot remix remixed by joey jordison of Slipknot, and also Sean McMahon, who kind of recorded the early Slipknot material that their first kind of, you know, underground hit, the mate, feed, kill, repeat, and more impressively and uh, notably helped record the Spit It Out demo that got them signed to Roadrunner Records and also is the very same version that ends up on that self-titled album because uh, they could never quite capture the essence that they wanted to of uh, Spit It Out from those original recordings. So that's an interesting fact. Interesting fact about Marilyn Manson is he contributes more than just the fight song to this. In fact, he scores the movie. Uh, When director Paul W.S. Anderson took on this franchise, he was very inspired by uh, John Carpenter's work. John Carpenter, of course, my former co-worker on Halloween. And also, uh, he did lots of movies. But he's known for doing the scores on his movies as well. And they're very... I don't want to say atmospheric, because that makes it sound like there's a lot of but, uh, they're very tone setting, you know, you, you feel like it's an immersive experience. So Marilyn Manson teamed up with, uh, a maestro by the name of Marco Beltrami, who also had scored the movie scream. Remember drew Barrymore. She was supposed to be the star dies in the first couple of minutes. Spoiler alert. And also Tim Skold of KMFDM fame around this time. So very cool, and he uh, has about a half dozen little uh, scoring tracks at the end of this soundtrack as well, and they're they're on uh, they're you know throughout the the movie, of course, because that is what a score is. Then we got "Something Told Me" by Cold Chamber, which is off of their 2002 album "Dark Days," which had uh, not even been released yet, so a little early preview. We had heard "Fiend" at this point, the single for "Dark Days," and also "Glow." ...had been released, but uh, I don't think on the Scorpion King soundtrack... ...shout out to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who at that time was just trying to go by Dwayne Johnson. He didn't want people to associate him with wrestling because he was embarrassed. And now, he's so not embarrassed, he's on the TV show Young Rock. or Maybe he's not on the show, but he it's his show. It's about him. I mean, someone portraying him is on the show, so he's kind of on the show in spirit, right? But something told me, uh, what a banger of a track. And I mean, poetry... Something told me to tell you not to tell me what to do. Bradley, gotta hand it to you. Love it. Dark Day's probably the best Cold Chamber album. Maybe not my favorite, but also maybe my favorite. So then after that, uh, you know, kind of, in line with what we were talking about, the My Plague New Abuse remix, being more or less a radio edit for Slipknot, we have Fear Factory's Invisible Wounds' The Suture mix, which is just uh, a little bit cleaned up version of that single off of their 2001 album, Did you Reese Fulber does do a remix on this Resident Evil soundtrack, though, of the Dig Everything and Nothing mix. It's a Reese Fulber remix, and it's uh, pretty cool, you know, of course, Dig off of uh, Mudbane's critically acclaimed classic at this point, LD50, so that's pretty cool, and, uh, you know, a little bit more Meep Injection into the soundtrack. Then, uh, we have Anything But This by Static X, this was kind of like a B-side off of their, uh, Machine album, which came out in 2001, and what a smash of an album that is, I just remember when I first heard, uh, This Is Not, I was like, man, this dude is unhinged, what is he, from Long Island or something? but no, Southern California. Of course, Machine, an interesting album and kind of uh, the beginning of the end for Static X, who are somehow a band today, but now playing Static, where he wrote all the music for Machine, allegedly. No, I wasn't there for it. So he didn't want all of the other band members to get paid for all this music that he wrote. And that included anything but this, and actually led to... Uh, Their guitar player leaving and later on Trip Eisen joining, who uh, also was part of Murder Dolls. Uh, Then we have Hallelujah by Ramstein. This was a a B-side off of their Mudder album. Um, It was on the Lynx 234 single, Lynx 234, big MTV2 smash. You know, Ramstein was really at their peak. At this point, of course, everybody knows Duhast, and I think Mudder was the first album that they put out after "Du Duhast had kind of blown up. So they were definitely making some huge waves, of course, playing shows and radio festivals with dislocated styles and downer uh, of the, the Meep adjacency. Not even Meep adjacency. Those are, those, those are Meepsters. Certified. fide. Then we have Dirt by Depeche Mode. This is actually a cover song of Iggy and the Stooges. And, of course, uh, Iggy and the Stooges from Detroit, where we all know the real Iggy Pop is Fago Root Beer. Then What Comes Around by El Nino, Day of the Dead mix. This is a completely different mix of the song, but also just remixed by producers of their Revolution Revolution album, Steve Regina and Eddie Wool of Scrap 60 fame, which also includes Rob Caggiano, currently of Volbeat, but at one point was on Roadrunner Records with Boiler Room. They just kind of remixed it. There's a cool little, like, uh, guitar riff in here that you hear that you don't hear in the normal song. I don't know if they went back and retracked that or where that comes from, but... uh, It is neat, and I like it. Probably the most unique song on here is the Rolisio Delph Prodigy mix by Method Man. Why is it the most unique? Well, it actually fits in pretty well sonically, so I don't want you to think that it's just coming out of left field here as far as the way the flow of the album goes, but uh, all the other songs came out around 2001, you know, 2002. Most of them 2001. This song, even this remix of this song, came out in the 90s, so I don't know why this got thrown on here, but it's super sick, and it's way better than the original releaseo Delph, which kind of uh, was interpolating um, I Will Survive had a, a female vocal on there. I think Blue Raspberry was her name. I, I should probably check that, but I'm not going to. And... It removes that completely, and it just gives this real sinister beat for Method Man to rap over, and I love it. Then we have 800 by Saliva, actually originally recorded for their first album, their self-titled album, when they were still being managed by Nickelback's manager, and uh, they re-recorded it with Bob Marlette, who uh, we heard some stories about on the Downer episode. I know I'm bringing up Downer a lot, but they came out in 2001, too, so they were around a lot around this time, but they re-recorded a couple songs from their self-titled album, for their every six seconds album which was the big one with uh, your disease and click click boom but 800 which is the song that we're talking about here did not make the cut for every six seconds so ended up kind of being a b-side and it's here on the resident evil soundtrack and finally wrapping things up we got the infinity by 5.0 mm-hmm. one of the most I don't know if underrated is the right word because I feel like underrated implies that people are aware of it and they just don't rate it high enough probably just one of the most unknown masterpieces that are on Roadrunner Records not to say it's not completely known I'm sure plenty of you know who they are and I'm excited that's why we're all hanging out together on the Meat Meet podcast but as far as the world at large 5.0 did not get uh Quite the proper exposure that uh, I wish they would have gotten. And I'm sure that they wish they would have gotten. But The Infinity is an awesome track. It really combines a lot of the cool elements throughout the soundtrack as far as being a little bit uh, moody and, and tense and anxiety-driven with a lot of the electronic aspects. But also has a little bit of a metalcore tinge. Kind of them at their kill switch engage So if you are not familiar with 5.0, please check them out. And uh, you can start with this song, The Infinity. And that leads us to the two songs we're going to be going into a little bit more in-depth with our guests. First up, Adima. 2001, they put out their self-titled album. Kind of getting a little head of steam because they're fronted by Marky Chavez, who is the half-brother of Jonathan Davis, who is the singer of a band called Korn, who, uh, you know, in 2001, were already, you know, almost half a dozen albums deep into a Hall of Famer career. I guess four albums deep. Five? 2001? Issues had come out. When did Untouchables come out? Tell me. But anyway, Adima was one of three rock bands on Arista Records. And I will send you a Meep Meep shirt if you can tell me who the other two were at Meep Meep Pod. But, their first song they ever wrote was called Everyone. And that's featured here on the Resident Evil soundtrack. And so we spoke to guitarist Mike Ransom, who did not make a pay a fee for our freedom to hear the inside scoop on how that song came to be, how the band came to be, and how these early songs influenced what they're doing now. How long had the band been together before this first record comes out? It seems like it uh, was a short period of time, but maybe it's just a short period of time of my knowledge of it.
1: Right. No, that's a fair question. Um, you know, like I would say as, as the group that actually got like a record deal, um, we had been together um, not like a crazy amount of time, I would say maybe like like a year or something like that. Um, but we had like, kind of like a first, um, uh, lineup that we had that was kind of like the pre edema edema. <laughs> that was, uh, it was, uh, it was Mark. It was me. Uh, it was another, there was another Mark that was playing bass, a guy named Eric, a guy named Cesario. Um, so that was kind of like the, the pre Adema edema that started like in 1998. And, uh, I think we did stuff for like about a year and a half um and we played with other bands like uh other bakersfield bands and stuff like that and we played in la um one of the other bakersfield bands was called juice and that was uh dave drew who's our bass player now and tim flucky who's our other guitar player they were in that band um chris coles at the time who ended up becoming our drummer he was playing for um Cradle of Thorns, but they became video drone. Um, they were on elementary. All of us like like Bakersfield's not like a gigantic area, right? It's I mean it's not like two thousand people or anything like that, you know. But uh, but it's if you think about how small and you understand like how small like the music community is generally speaking, imagine the music community in a place that's like you know between a quarter million a half million people, right? So, pretty, pretty tight knit. Everyone's played in everybody else's band, you know? We all knew each other and everything. And, like, basically, like, the pre edema fell apart and Juice fell apart. And I think that uh, uh, Video Drone, like, they, they ended up, like, I guess, basically, you know, becoming inactive after, like, kind of like the hiatus. Like, Mark started working with Tim Flucky they were starting to kind of like mess around with writing some, some songs, you know? And then, um, I basically like heard that they were doing stuff. Like I just had, I just kind of had a feeling that like something like cool was happening and I was being fucking left out. You know what I mean? I was like, yo, like you should let me come over and, uh, play some shit on one of the tracks, you know? And and so then that's how I got myself, uh, back into the mix. And, <laughs> <laughs> So there's more to the story than just that, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Sure, sure. So even though the iteration that we know of Adima from that first record may have been briefly together, it seems like the pieces were all moving. In fact, I think even songs from that early formation kind of carry over into this record, right? Is that fair to say? A couple of the tracks? Yes,
1: absolutely. Well, and, and everyone was one of them. Actually, everyone was the reason, was how I got myself back into my own band,
0: Okay, tell me more about that.
1: Well, because, like, like I said, I, I just knew that, like, there was some something happening. I just kind of had that feeling, you know? And again, like, it's not like there was any sort of like, you know, back then they were doing like the production deals and uh, development deals and stuff like that. There was n- nothing like that. It's just like a few dudes with like one of those, like VS 1680s. Do you remember those by Roland, those little digital recorder guys? I, I think it's like the drummer had like a problem with me. Like, like they were saying that the drummer didn't like me. I'm like, well, fuck him. It's not, it's really, it's my thing, (laughs) but okay. And uh, I said, look, let me record something on like the the worst, like dead end fucking song that you've got. You know what I mean? Like, give me the worst chance that you can, you know? And so I came in with like my, my pedal board and my guitar. And it was almost like I had kind of like already had an idea of what I was going to play before I even knew what the song was, you know? And like I swear, like the very first thing that came out of my guitar is still today, like the the verse on everyone.
0: What did they even give you to work with that you were able to kind of lace over? Did they have like the verses of the the melody of it written already? I mean, or and when you're saying you're. You're coming up with this song do you bring all of that to yourself like oh, you can hear it all at once you hear the the combination of the sounds or you're just legitimately playing these kind of like super compressed you know like almost leads because you just mentioned like your pedal board there's a lot of pedal and effects and stuff like that yeah tons of bullshit.
1: um <laughs> like uh i would say so on on everyone like they had like a chorus i believe they had like the chorus and i think I think Mark had already figured out like, um, like, like the melody part for that and everything. And so then like I kind of like played like this trippy, spacey thing that went along with the bass. And they're like, "Oh shit!" Like that's what it's been missing. And I was like, "Well, why didn't you fucking call me sooner, assholes?" Like that's what I was trying to tell you. Come on, man.
0: So is that something you were super into at, at the time? And maybe even now, just like all those effects and pedals and things like that? Because there's so much of it throughout the, the album. In my earliest
1: history as a musician, I was actually a horn player. Uh, I was a saxophone player. I, I actually, I played in uh, Stank for a, a period of time too. Like, dude, like mid-90s, like super ancient history. The whole new metal thing for me, like I would say as a rock guitar player like i was more of like uh allison James uh rage metallica you know like and like the idea of like tuning a guitar down to b flat was like the stupidest thing i could possibly imagine i was like wow that's fucking really stupid like what are these uh, okay fine i guess that's what you have to do to play in a band you have to like just do dumb shit to your guitar. And I'm um, like, okay. When it comes to playing playing with two guitars, you know, it's like having a place where you fit into all of that is what's, what makes it cool. I, because I wasn't like a new metal guy. Like I wasn't, a now today. Like I'm a huge fan of, of corn and, and all, all this, all the other, like, uh, like awesome new metal bands, uh, system with down uh, i don't know if rob zombie counts uh you know but but i mean all, like stuff like that like now i'm first in and i understand it i get it you know so i but i wasn't at the time so i kind of had to like go well what what would be cool here you know and i think that what i would kind of think I, it wasn't like really even metal that i would think of of where i would fit in it was more of like i kind of thought of stuff like like Dr. Dre did like on rap records, you know, like, uh, the way you like it, like that, that high guitar part thing. I'll get inside you. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking of like Dr. Dre from like the chronic, like that high, like uh moog stuff that he would do and everything, you know, like playing, a playing something that's a melody that happens at the same time as a vocal melody a lot of times that's what i'm thinking of
0: now that being your your roots in in things that you're interested in and then also that you're putting so many layers like that onto the album you know a lot of the times that stuff gets kind of like over compressed in the mix you know like you're doing like you said even on everyone a ton of crazy like I don't want to say leads, but a lot of, you know, like intricate stuff, but it's kind of buried underneath the bass and the drums and all that. Is that intentional or that's kind of how you wanted it to kind of play off of? So it wasn't so off-putting.
1: No, back at, back then I didn't know any better. Um, Is where, where, wherever the, you know, the producers or mixer put it. But sometimes like, you know, there's a, there you'll have a part that sounds like it's buried, but then you take it out and then everything falls apart. Um, and then sometimes there's parts where it's like oh wow that's a that's a a thing that really like caught me and is super cool you know so it just depends on what functions for the song when we were uh, like doing like pre-production and production for that record like uh. Lincoln Park's like first record just come out, you know, and like our our uh, you know which I mean killer record, you know, and you know the the producers would have loved it if we would have just like totally copied them, but like that wasn't really us. I love anything that's weird, you know, Primus, Faith No More, like that. Those sounds are really cool to me. So if I can do something weird, I'm going to I'm going to play that.
0: So. Yes, everyone is on the Resident Evil soundtrack, and of course, you make the song "Immortal" for Mortal Kombat, which is also yep. a video game. Do you know that? I now I, okay. Well, I know this because we wrote it for
1: that. Like wrote it for that game. Yes, specifically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm getting the vibe that you weren't a big gamer. So was that not was that a big deal for you? I mean, it must have been cool just in general to have anybody want you to write a song for them, but was that like, oh shit, Mortal Kombat. I remember getting in trouble at school for pretending I was Sub-Zero.
1: I I was I was more of a Street Fighter uh that that game, not like in real life. Uh no, that wasn't me, but uh, but like I, Street Fighter the game was like my fighting game that I played. No, and and dude, like actually no, I've been like like, not only am I a gamer, but, like, I come from a fucking long line of gamers. Like, my, my grandfather was, was, like, probably the best I ever met. Like, he, on Tetris, he was unbelievable. Like, unimaginably good. Like, I've, like, seen, like, little tiny rockets, like, you know, like when, like, a little rocket shoots up or whatever, you know what I mean? Dude, he had, like, fucking, like, gigantic spaceships and space shuttles and, like, just the shit was flying. I have no idea how he was getting any of it done. It was ab- absolutely insane. You know, Mortal Kombat, of course I, I knew about that, and I did play that game, like, a few different iterations of that, and the guys, we were all stoked. I mean, everyone actually in the band, like, like is does Gaming, you know, console and PC.
0: Yeah, actually, so the, the Song of Mortals for the game, Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, but the yes. sequel, or the one that comes out after that, I should say, Mortal Kombat Deception, had a like mini game built into it called Puzzle Combat that was like Tetris Mortal Kombat. And I was, <laughs> I would lose sleep over this game. It was like the most important thing in the world to me do you have a favorite tour that you did for this uh, first record?
1: Well, okay. Well, for sure, like hands down was the first project revolution tour. Um, That was insane. That was, that was like one of those things where you just, you just, I had never like seen some shit like that in my entire life and definitely never played, you know what I mean? Because every night you're playing for like, 15, 20,000 people, like, just, and it was, every night, completely slammed, like, Linkin Park, was just, absolutely, ridiculously good, like, just, like, it embarrassed me, to be on the same stage, like, that's how good they were, Like I was like, fuck, like, every, every day, like, you just throw your guitar, off stage, you know, but, but, at the same time, like, it, it was, you know, the fans were coming there, to have fun, you know, it was, that shit was, out of control, um, and, and then i also have like a, a lot of like nostalgically uh, our first like good tour that we did after like cause when we we first recorded the record they sent us out on tour they just like just get the fuck out of here just play clubs and um before the record was ever released you know which was smart cuz like like it took a while for us really to like get our legs under us like as a, as a live band you know like and in the beginning was like, we were in a van, like playing for clubs, maybe three or five people there, you know, like including the people that work there. And it was just like, fuck, like, is this like, because we thought we were a big deal. And then we do that. One. Okay. So we aren't shit. Like, <laughs> and then, and then uh, um, our first really good tour was with uh, Stained. And that was like when uh, uh, that It's Been a While song was just fucking like, you know, number one, massive. And that's when we started playing for like, after that, like, like things were like, we, we even did like good, like headline stuff after that. You know what I mean? But that was like the first time, like, oh, fuck, there's like, no, there are people here, but there's um, shit ton. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not only is there more than five there's actually a shit ton of them so with uh going back to everyone with that being like the first song that you guys as this unit write together Mm -hmm. did you think at that time or did you feel like at that time like oh this is the song like i know of course later on you would get these songs like giving in and uh, the way you like it that you probably had these aha moments but at the time where you are like oh snap like we really have something here and this is going to be the song that kind of puts us on that next level like this is the next step in our And our evolution as just friends making music. Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be.
1: I think the aha moment. And what I would say is probably the aha moment for everybody else in the band. Wasn't so much a song as it was once we finally got like the actual five dudes in the band in a room together, playing the songs together. The last guy to join the band was Chris. And we, we had this other
0: drummer um, who didn't like you. So you made sure to get him out of there and bring him. He,
1: he was a dickhead. And he was an idiot too. He's still an idiot. He ended up getting kicked out of the band for like trying to hook up with our singer's girlfriend. And uh, so then we had to find, and this is actually, we kicked him out of the band after we had like found like producers that wanted to make a demo. And like, then they were the guys that did the, the actual uh, first record, uh, Tobias Miller and uh, Bill Appleberry. Like, they're like, dude, we love your shit. We want to produce it. Um, We're going to make a demo and we're going to shop it and get your record deal. Do you imagine after that, then you try to hook up with the singer's girlfriend? Like, talk about self sabotage, right?
0: Well, let's put it in context, not just the singer's girlfriend, but we're talking about Jonathan Davis from Korn's Little Brother's Girlfriend. So you're really uh, blacklisting yourself there. Oh, dude. Well, you know, and, and, okay. So aside all of that, he had more of like kind
1: of like a metal style, right? He was, he was, uh, he was a super talented drummer. He's great. Kind of like a standard metal drumming, right? So the day that Chris came in, and we had like some of the songs written, like just a few of them, right? Like, uh, I think everyone, um, pain inside. So Chris came in, he's like, um, I noticed that the other guy, he was doing more of like, kind of like a metal thing, whatever. I'm, I'm, at, I'm, I'm kind of hearing the songs actually like being played more rock style on drums. Like, is it okay if I do that? I don't, you know, and we're like, yeah, just do your thing. Sure. And like, I would say maybe like two measures into whatever the first song was that we were playing. It was like, this is it. And it was like, that was the aha moment. It was like, fuck dude, that really feels like something.
0: Would you say that everyone is the best representation of that record of the first edema record? It's, it, it opens the album up. It's one of your first songs. Is that a song that if you wanted to show somebody what that album is boiled down to, would you pick that track?
1: That was why we put it first because it was like, um, you know, it had the the cool riff stuff. It had the big like, you know, uh, mul- you know, cool melody chorus type thing. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, no, it had it had all the elements of the things that we do still heavy, still high energy even though it's a mid mid tempo type deal. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, we, I think we felt like that captured like the energy of like, yo, this is this is who we are.
0: Thanks so much to Mike for the inside scoop on the early days of Adema and you can check Edema on their current days. This summer on the New Metal Revival Tour. You can see those dates at Adema Music on Instagram, but they're going out with Flaw, whose only original member is their vocalist, Crazy Town, whose only original member is their vocalist, Head PE, whose only original member is their vocalist, and Adema, who are all original members except their vocalist. Seems like they could have condensed the members and had a little bit of savings. You know, gas prices are not cheap from what I'm hearing, but they'll be taking four vehicles out to these shows, so take your vehicle out to them. I'm going to try to check out the one in Towson, Maryland, as soon as I find out if that's how you pronounce that city's name. Next up, a legend. Truly a legend. The Crystal Method, also featured on the Resident Evil soundtrack, with potentially their most popular song of all time, Name of the Game. And Name of the Game is actually such a huge collaboration you might not be aware of. So first of all, the guitar playing on Name of the Game, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. Okay. The scratching on Name of the Game, DJ Swamp of Beckfang, also featured on the Two Skinny Jays album Volumizer. And the rapping on Name of the Game is Ryu, from at the time Styles of Beyond but would later go on to be in Fort Minor with Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park. Scott Kirkland from the Crystal Method took the time to let us know how that huge collaboration came to be and I also punished him with enthusiasm about other songs in the Crystal Method catalog including working with the star of Resident Evil Mila Jovovich, and got a little bit of information about their time on the Family Values Tour in 1999. Yo, top of the crown the queen The fate of
2: your shake the so that song's been out for 20 20 plus years now and and they're very popular for for, for, for a very long time I, even I just played it last night at a I was doing this nft party um so it's 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 always it's always a good riff always everybody loves hearing it
0: yeah, so like you mentioned, I mean, it's got Tom Morello, it's got DJ Swamp, it's got Ryu from Styles of Beyond, who just a couple of years after that goes on to be pretty successful with not only Styles of Beyond, but he does Fort Minor with Mike Shinoda mm. from Linkin Park. Um, and then, of course, Tom Morello is already kind of household name. He's been doing Rage Against the Machine for like a decade by the time this comes out. So um, it's such a, a big like i said like a collaboration between all these moving parts so did you start off having the track and you were like oh i want to get a guitar player," and like it built on from there or how does the it even come together well, like that
2: well vegas came out in 97 and we toured relentlessly on that um uh for that album and and um had some radio play with busy child and um and a lot of um syncs with commercials and um movies and just toured relentlessly on that and and we started to do You know, we'd always come, we'd always had a rock influence, you know, I grew up with metal and, you know, and that was my jam when I was, when I was in my teens and um, started getting into industrial and, and then found my way over to, to, to sort of more synths with, with Black Celebration from Depeche Mode. And I kind of lived in between those two worlds quite a, quite a bit when I was, you know, in my later teens, you know, listening to, you know, um, Master of puppets, you know, with air, air drumming in my living room, um, and then also, you know, you know, being fascinated with the synthetic and uh, cinematic sound of of Depeche Mode, and so I, even when I started doing demos um, before I met Ken, when I was just, you know, in my bedroom, I had guitars, you know, you know, because I'd taken I'd taken actually guitar lessons from Mark Slaughter um, from uh, the band Slaughter. Um, many, many years ago and um but when I discovered since uh the sense and and computer um, um, sequencing i I left the guitar i was never I never had the patience to sit and play one instrument for you know hours on end and it just i was either didn 't feel i was uh, you know i was going to ever get good at it or just didn't have the patience for it so um as we were starting to work on um, our second album, we had gotten word from a friend that that had just interviewed tom um and said tom said something you know to the effect that you know they asked him what he's listening to you know what he what he's into and he mentioned the crystal method so we reached out to him and he you know he's really into it and he we used to have this small little studio that was in a two-car garage in the small little house in la crescenta we'd Drywalled the the garage ourselves and put you know we were just young and and um, not with a lot of money and and just kind of built this little studio so we were still in there with with when we started the, the tweaking album we actually recorded three albums there so Tom would bring his you know his amp and a couple of his guitars up to up to uh, La Crescenta and uh, we'd set his amp up in in the kitchen and it was really makeshift it was real ghetto and and but he to his to his credit um, um, you know. Tom was always about like the moment, you know, sometimes, you know, someone will come into the studio or even someone will come in not, when you're not doing a session and they'll just, they'll wear a little bit about their day on their sleeve when they come in, they'll be like, Oh, the traffic was this or, you know, or, or, you know, at that time, him and the band, him and rage were going through a lot of uh, turmoil. I think that they, you know, they were on the, you know, brink of, of, eventually they broke up about you know uh, 9 months later so um but none of that was ever brought up and none of it was ever you know mixed into the um to the atmosphere he just always just showed up and was really present and really in, um you know um, in, in the moment so we had um we had a couple of things that we were working on and he came in and he was warming up you know just like you know getting his tuning his guitar and he started to do that riff and we were like wait what was that you know what was that he goes what was what and he's like i'm we're like <laughs> just that riff that you were just playing he's like i don't know i don't i was just i was just warming up and he was truly just like you know just tuning up and warming up and he so we, with that moment we went over and and we put a DAT into the and started recording everything from the session. Luckily, uh, a little while later, he did the riff again, and then he came back the next day, and we were like, "Listen to this!" and we played him where we'd gotten with that riff. So he was just like, "Oh yeah, let's do that." So uh he played bass, and we the track was you know developing. We were putting some synths on it and building the um, the stru- structure and the um, drums and stuff, and then we had chance encounter with swamp. So I can't remember if it, I think of a friend of a friend said, you know, Hey, swamp's a good guy, you know, you should bring him over. And, um, you know, we were, we were fans of his with, cause he'd worked with Beck and, and, uh, he was like the turntable champion for, for one of those years, 95 or 96 or something like that. So, so yeah, he came over, he set up a, a, his, you know, his rig, um, on this old washer and dryer. Cause again, this was a ghetto garage, you know, <laughs> not really, we <laughs> were and, uh, and he just started digging through records and um and we played the, this new uh, you know track that we were working on, and he came across well he had this um i think lewanda Lu- lewanda page i think it was it's the it's the woman that was on uh, Sanford and sun that was like um red fox's like arch enemy but she's a comedian, so she made this you know a comedy album back in the seventies and so he had this album and, and you know that's the name of the game and you know just and just uh you know listen all you, <laughs> listen all you motherfuckers so he was just scratching it and you know we had we had taken a bunch of stuff from that session and then you know then it was like okay we had this other this other element and then we we were thinking you know we we you know it would definitely be cool to we you know have a rap in it and actually we had be real um from cypress hill come over and um and and not to our studio at that point we had moved into a uh another studio for for about half the album was done over uh at at a scott humphrey's studio which was he was gonna working in that world um working with tommy lee on a couple projects and so um but the B real sessions didn't work out um we, we didn't hit for whatever reason um you know the track we just that didn't that didn't work so um so then yeah we we, we somebody we were introduced to um Ryu, um loved his stuff with styles beyond and and uh, he just had this really great tone and really great vibe and and he could he's such an incredible writer he he he, he just you know spits these you know ridiculously cool lyrics and and uh and just fit all glued together, and uh, it was the uh, was the first video, um, first track from Tweak Of course, there's a really great video as well that was done uh, by Marco Ciega, uh, Nosy, and then it just uh, took off from
0: there. But the end of it, it says to be continued, and Nosy does show up at a party yeah. at the uh, murder video, but his yes, story...
2: <laughs> yes, I feel like yeah, his story we, yeah, is not we, completed,
0: we, we... we don't know what happens. In uh, his life. Yeah,
2: still, ha- I still have the the mask around here somewhere um well then after after spending you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on videos you know as time as 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 time went on and mtv stopped playing videos um we 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 weren't able to to find a find a way where we can get uh nosy back into the into the narrative uh but um he did he did actually um we played a, we played a KCRW show at the Hollywood bowl and he came out and breakdanced on, uh, during name of the game. So there have been other moments when we've seen uh nosy, but, um, but yeah, that was a, that was a really great period of time because we, you know, we were, you know, we, there was just no way we were going to go into the studio and do another Vegas album. It just wasn't going to happen. We were the, the rave scene and, it, you know, it come out of that scene and, and, you know then it turned into electronic or electronica but by the end of um 99 i think we'd done we had done uh family values with limp biscuit and filter and a bunch of other bands and uh you know i was already not listening to electronic music because i didn't want to be influenced by others so i started getting into like old funk records and and um and really kind of diving into that world and um and then when we, you know, we when we got back in the studio, we, you know, again having this opportunity to work with Tom, and you know, wanting to do something different from Vegas, it, it you know, worked out really well. And um, you know, again having Tom, you know, in the studio with us and and co-produce, um, co-write, um, you know, on three different tracks. Was just you know just a whole lot of fun he's just such a cool guy and such a professional and 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 someone that really brings everything uh that he's got into the session and 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 sticks with the to the end and, and supports you all the way after so really great uh, opportunity and and um really thankful to be able to call him a friend uh, to this day
0: yeah that's so cool that it's just like a organic uh collaboration between the two of you because what I would imagine is that you had the base of the track and you're like oh guitar would be cool who's like a cool guitar player but it sounds like it was just you guys kind of almost jamming for lack of a better word and uh he comes yeah, up with that.
2: yeah yeah very traditional way of uh, i mean of course we you know unlike others uh with instruments in our hand we we were um guys that took the samples and took the parts and then rearranged them and you know and and um there were there was there was a there was another song uh, wild sweet cool which which was that might have been one of the first things that we worked on Where that where that track was already kind of up and running, and he, you know, he played on that, and then that led to uh, him um, working on um, PhD. But yeah, he was great, and 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 you know, again, um, you know, having having the opportunity to get him in the studio and and just him, you know, just not showing up and looking at our raggedy little um outfit um <laughs> our, our 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 you know setting up you know his guitar in the kitchen um it was it was very punk rock and it was um it was, we were very slight like, we 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 didn't we didn't know any better to be embarrassed it was just what we where we were working and 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 uh thankfully um at some point we were able to build this place that I'm in now and and um and
0: move all of our stuff. Were you ever like, hey Tom What do you think Zach's doing right now? You think he wants to come rap on this song?
2: (laughs) No, we never, we never, uh, you know, I can't, I, I, you know, honestly, I can't, I can't say that we didn't, um, uh, didn't ask him, but um, he just always had a way of like keeping all that other, all of his other projects and things, you know, out of the session that he was in obviously obviously they've gotten back together and i've done a few many many shows since then but when they initially broke up their last set of shows was uh at the olympic down in um downtown los angeles where they did like two or three nights in a row and we 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 were fortunate enough to be you know in the crowd for those shows and and then of um we did a remix of uh, of a track off their covers album um and then later on when he was doing boots um they had another project we'd done a remix for that band as well um so yeah always great to to see him and and really proud of the stuff that we were able to make together
0: you mentioned that between vegas and Tweekend, you do got do the uh, the family values tour which is a i mean it's a rock tour you guys are yes a, an electronic act doing the vegas songs on this rock and roll tour so did that energy influence you at all to want to go more towards that rock direction? Because once name of the game comes out, then you got born too slow. I mean, it like continues like your your bigger songs for a solid period of time are kind of rock based. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, um, you know, again, I'm I'm always, you know, I never shied away from um, from what I loved and, and what I grew up listening to. Again, that's a lot of that was already a lot of the rock element if you will was in vegas through the way we distorted synthesizers or or sent sounds or or used uh you know big heavy drums and and um you know the way that we compressed stuff and and um i guess it was just sort of more although legion of boom um which was the third album which had um born too slow on it it did it did have uh you know quite a few tracks that were still you know um sort of club tracks if you will or, or at least were were sort of based on that that type of production but um I, you know it's just it's just always was is you know has always been an influence so when we were with when it came to working with with West Borland um on um Born Too Slow we actually had a, another track that we had started with West which was uh which eventually turned into Weapons of Mass Distortion which was uh, another big heavy track on, off that album that got a lot of syncs and lived in the lived in the and you know in the gaming and sync world for a little while and that actually came about from we were working on a track for I think it was one of the the reboots of um Charlie's Angels yeah that's what it was um and the um and so we had this track going that was kind of for a a scene in charlie's angels but but what they had what they had edited in was a prodigy track and so they were really really happy with the prodigy track and and um the uh, the weapons of mass distortion track didn't end up going on so um that just that came back to us and then we finished that and then of course we wanted to have um you know, we really loved the stuff that we had done with Wes uh, in those sessions. And so we had him back over the studio and we had, and that was a little bit more, here's a track that we've got, you know, he, you know, immediately found a riff for it. And then our longtime a guy, um, guy, John Seidel had, had come by one day and he was listening to stuff and he, you know, he's like, oh my God, I was just, I was just, uh, do you remember Caius? You know, and we were like, yeah, yeah. He's like john garcia the singer for, for caius i just like talked to him uh recently and he you know he's he you know i told him that you know you were working on your album and and he you know he sounded like he was really excited about it. and again you know just like with the 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 tomarello hearing from someone that you know tom was a fan you know hearing that um you know that john who we love dearly and trusted you know loved his style and, and understanding of the of the music scene and and you know, he was able to make these connections with, because sometimes you like, if you were fans, you know, we've had, we've had situations and I'm like, you know, where, you know, we're like, Oh, we so great to get that guy in the studio. And then it's not, doesn't really work out because they're not as into it as we are. Is if they're not as into it as we are, then, then they're not going to be that, that contributing in a way like Tom does and or West did, or, or even John did where, you know, they're, you know, you, you know, their hearts in it. So, so, yeah, with 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 uh, Born Too Slow, that was another track that just, you know, it kind of developed, you know, along. And then, you know, when we got John Garcia on it, it just took it to the, uh, the to another level with his with his amazing vocals. And, and I actually took John and Ryu on the roads at separate times. Actually, we might actually had them both on the road at one point um, during the that tour, um, which was a lot of fun, um, you know being on the bus with you know cool people and and um and you know and and bringing them out to was different from you know not different from bands like prodigy or chemical brothers but um but you know as far as the scene in uh the electronic scene or at least what people thought of the electronic scene we were always playing live um we spent the first 10 years playing nothing but live shows and 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 bringing the you know gear out and big production and having singers and um had swamp out a couple times and um, there's always been that element within within you know our style that 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 leans heavily towards you know rock influences and hip-hop influences and uh we're never shy to bring those artists in and, and collaborate with them
0: now this song like we mentioned before was on the resident evil soundtrack you do make the song. I know it's you with Mila Jovovich star of the movie. She was also in the fifth element. She's in the fourth kind yes. made me believe in aliens. Uh, yes. How did that movie or how did that movie, how did that uh, song come about?
2: You know, it's interesting. I I, I can't remember exactly how we, um, if it was through the Resident evil, um, maybe that, maybe the that would have been obviously where she became aware of us. Um but we actually went over. We had talked to somebody, and and uh, we had um, uh, we were invited to. Co- we went over, over her house, and she had sent us this. Um, she had sent us this demo of this track that she had written, and it was uh, an awesome, such an awesome song. We were so excited about this track because melody and and she, you know, and she was great lyrics. And, and uh, so we were, we went over to her place thinking that we were going to be working on this. Um, oh, no, that's right. We went over to her place. She played us a song and then, and then we loved the song. We hung out. We got along really well. Again, one of those moments where you want to make sure that your people you're working with are, are into it as, as much as you are. So we we had this great uh, hang and um, she played us a song that she was working on. She played on guitar We'd gone back to our studio and and we'd come up with this, you know, this structure to go along with this this track that we'd only really heard because she didn't give us a copy of it. We only heard it. So, you know, we tapped out the tempo and kind of got an idea of what the tr- song was. And so she was going out with John Frusciante at the time. She showed up at our studio, again, our donkey, j- janky little studio up in La Crescenta. Um, with some, she had brought a friend of hers with her. And we were like, okay, you know, we were all set up, had the mic set up, we were gonna, you know, do this song. And she's like, oh yeah, so, um, you know, well, um, unfortunately, um, you know, John and I are gonna save that song for for one of my projects. And so I, I was, we were like, oh, oops, oh, okay, you know, you know, um, dang, okay, well, <laughs> you know, we were just little, um, so we we she was only we only had this. One opportunity to 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 have her in the in the studio, because she was obviously very busy. so we we had had to pivot real quick. And so we had this this track that we had started where it had some vocoder on it, which was was this little I know it's you vocoder bit, and was kind of a, a, at the time a, a little placeholder. So yeah, we, we, so we, she just started to, we played that and then she started to, to just mimic that, to repeat those lines and um, it, was, it was interesting because um, you know, we, it just how at that moment things just shifted on the, and the balance of, of, of the track that we thought we were gonna work on and what we ended up working on. And in the end, um, I think I, in the end, I, I ended up, we re- ended up reversing her vocal so um so where it was a little bit more, you know, mysterious and ethereal. The track it was a really cool track. It was one of my favorites um on the album. I you know, if if we were if I would have been able to do it over again, um I, I think I would have been would spend would have taken a little bit more time to work out lyrics and, and find a melody for it and but you know, we, we we just we 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 worked with what we had and um, and uh and you know and and you know finished the track uh, with what we had and you know and um, one of my good friends is Danny Loner, so he's 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 has worked with her on a couple of things and um so, um, but yeah, she's she's awesome. She was really lovely and and super kind and and obviously very talented and and um and 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 unfortunately I don't. I don't think a lot of people really heard her, you know, in, in that context as a as a singer songwriter because she definitely, um, you know, obviously the acting stuff, you know, took off and she's been a, you know, leading um, multiple franchises I think over the years um, in that in that in that space. So um, yeah, it's it's she's you know she's a really nice person, incredible artist, and and you know it was fun to work with her.
0: So The Trip Out was just released which is of course uh, your album the sequel to 2018's The Trip Home and it has this first single post-punk with Iggy Pop kind of doing like a, a monologue over it but do you have elements in these new projects that kind of stem back from these days of Tweekend and Legion of Boom that we're talking about? Ken retired um,
2: in 2016 I, I've been um, you know I've been kind of exploring these different um, sides of, of, of my um, musical instincts. So the trip home was a little bit more cinematic because I had gotten into doing some scoring and, and, and some different things. And so I, I kind of like the idea of, of, of creating something that was felt like it could be a score to a movie that, that, that you, you know, that that's out there that, you know, you come across digging in some, you know, um, you know, and, and some, through some vinyl and you come across, you know, this the, the sort of the, the score to this, for this project. So it's sort of in that, so the trip home sort of lives in my mind in between um, Vegas and Tweekend and it uh, takes that approach of, of kind of coming at it in that sort of cinematic way. The trip out also started to just get back into working with some other people. And so there's, there's this great track uh, with this great uh, senior named Coda and this other producer friend named Val uh which is called watch me now and this track uh, watch me now which is a full-on like big rock track it's a it's you know ballsy and um 151 beats per minute and it's 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 a lot of fun so i got danny loner is playing guitar on that um um uh, matt chamberlain who's an incredible um session guy and who's been in bands with edie Brickell and pearl jam and and his tour with soundgarden and many other bands he's he's on drums it fits really well within the world of, of name of the game and born too slow. And, and, uh, um, something that's going to, that's going to add another chapter into the, to the, the lore and legend of the crystal method. So I'm really excited for that. And
0: you said this new song is 151
2: beats per minute. Yes. 151. Yes. 151.1. 1, I think it might be. Yeah. And
0: how yeah. do you determine <laughs> that additional 1.1? Yeah. Just...
2: Yeah. Well, it was, that was, the that uh, yeah. The, uh, there's a track uh with billy dean thomas really great uh uh rapper called uh, act right and that one is like uh ninety ninety four point three or something like yeah it's one of these where where you know just um i always have to remember those when i'm um, when i'm you know when i'm laying things out and and um and on uh, putting things on the grid because sometimes if you if obviously that little point one will will shift things off the grid. But um, yeah, and the, and the Iggy track was was one that uh, my friend um, Hyper and I had started, and he had happened to be watching you know a documentary that night about the about the Stooges, which was this Jim Jarmusch uh, documentary um, called Give Me Danger, which is an incredible documentary. And um, at the end, you know Ig- Iggy's you know kind of just going through this, you know, dialogue of him talking about how, you know, his career is kind of, you know, um, matured and how he, you know, he doesn't want to be
1: any of it. I don't want to be a punk. I just want to be,
2: you know, punk or rock, or he doesn't want, you know, he just, he wants, just wants to be me is what he says. And so, um, you know, immediately, uh, you know we we sampled that and you know and started working that into the track not knowing whether or not we'd eventually be able to use it because again it's you know it's Iggy Pop it's a documentary you know Jim Jarmusch you know really great filmmaker so um to both of their credits they 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 were into it they worked with us and we were able to 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 license it so that um that that was a lot of fun to work on and and, and actually I ran into Jim Jarmusch when I was in New York um randomly I, I was doing a show and he, and he was it was a double header so they were clearing out the show that was before and he was there watching a band and so um i went up and and you know and introduced myself and he couldn't have been kinder and and was like oh i'm so glad it worked out you know i've been you know i told everybody that you know we love the song and and um you know and just you know told everybody just make it happen and you know Glad the lawyers were able to figure it all out and you know we're you know, you're able to get that done so to make that connection um with with Jim and find out that he and Iggy were into the track.
0: You have the song Put 'em up with Yellow Wolf. Yes, yes. And that was used for WWE's vengeance pay per view. Mark Henry, world champion.
2: That was one that we did for the um for for those we scored a scene in a in a that robot movie with um, uh, um real steel and so um the scene uh, didn't have yellow wolf in it but um but when we when they wanted to release uh the soundtrack or a soundtrack to that they um i guess it was uh actually um travis barker yeah barker yeah uh, he he was a executive <laughs> producer on that, and he was the one who suggested Yellow Wolf for that track. I we um, actually it was funny. I ran into um, where I was I was playing a festival and uh, with Yellow Wolf, and um, back in two thousand nineteen, and uh, there was this really gnarly uh, lightning thunderstorm that came through. But while we were waiting out the storm in our in our you know it, we were I was parked in a in my car cuz i had already played the day before and i was just there to see and i thought this is going to be the this is going to be like the, the fucking greatest little lineup for me as a fan i get it was going to be judas priest the cult and tool so i was like well that's that's an afternoon i'm going to i'm going to stay an extra day for that of course unfortunately it was all blown up by this by this uh, weather that uh, that uh, struck the stage and and was you know causing havoc. But while we were waiting at this storm, little did I know that in a vehicle right next to me was um, Yellow Wolf and his crew. So um, so when I when we were all getting out, I was like, we started talking, uh, and then we somehow we got around to I was like, I'm like, yeah, I think you were on a, I think you were on one of our tracks, and he was like, oh shit, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that, and, uh, so I did not, I, I did not know, but, um, but yeah, his, his vocal is incredible on that. So I, I'm, I mean, uh, I, I've never, I've never been a, a big, um, wrestling fan. um, 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 but, um, I, I can, I could definitely understand how that track could find its way into one of those, uh, um, you know, into being, you know, used in that context for sure.
0: All right. Well, you kind of mentioned it a little bit before, but I would love to talk to you more about the Family Values Tour '99. I mean, that had to just be crazy—not only just being on it in general, but being on it as the Crystal Method.
2: That was a weird tour because, uh, well, I mean, obviously we were—we were, you know. The unicorn in the room um um doing our own thing and and winning people over you know one um beat at a time but um fred durst we were talking to him at one of the after parties and he's like man i want to come up and do something with you and we we're like um oh okay so i we i wrote this we wrote this song on the bus um and um and uh Played it for him, and he's like, "Yeah, cool, cool, cool. I'll come out to, I'll come out tonight." And uh, and so he, he comes up on stage, and we're playing, we, you know, we're playing the song, and he's like, "You know, he's got some lyrics," and then he's like, "Fuck Crystal Method, <laughs> fuck Crystal." Like it was just like a really odd, um, odd uh, moment. Like he, you know, it, it I guess, in to his mind, it was you know, um, you know, a, an enduring, uh. A, you know moment uh where you know we, and then he then he then he did it from the front of the house but um but yeah it, and then at some point on that tour he lost his shit and threw a fucking microphone at the, or threw something at the monitor engineer and he had all it, he was he was quite he was he was quite a piece of work um you know when he had all that all that uh you know energy from those from those crowds because you know um you know they were fucking massive for 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 about 10 minutes there. They were the biggest band out there. And on that tour, I think they were that was like, you know, right at that moment. But um, um I think he settled down a little bit, but but that the other I remember him, you know, winding us up to like, you know, do this track. And then, uh, and then he comes <laughs> out, and he's like, he does fuck crystal method. And he has the 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 fucking the crowd, you know, chanting, you know, with him. So um, but um, but um, you know, we we survived it, and it was a great tour. And um, um, I, I what I loved about that tour also was that um that the one of the major sponsors was um that Sega Sega Dreamcast, the video game that, then they had a Mike Tyson boxing game in there. And one of the things that they would do to tie in with the game was they would have um they you'd, you'd be able to win, so the punters would be able to win. A chance to come in to sound check and play. Um, So they put the game up on the big Jumbotron, and um, you would sit at the, you know, they had this little VIP couchy area that was like in the middle of this in the room, and they people could play the video, like, you know, play play the video game with against like their, you know, against the bands. So it was that was that was quite a lot of fun. Um, And it was a really cool um system for the time but um fact, that was 99 so that i mean that's that's 23 years ago that's crazy um
0: time flies you should have challenged fred to settle it in mike Tyson's. yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah exactly yeah uh yeah i remember he was like well dude dude no it's cool it's nothing but love man nothing but love
0: Thanks so much to Scott for taking us through the history of the hits of The Crystal Method, including, but not limited to, Name of the Game, featured on the Resident Evil soundtrack in 2002. You can follow Scott on Instagram at Method, and he's on tour all the time, as well as The Trip Out is out now, available on all streaming services, and you can get that nice vinyl edition at TheCrystalMethod.com. Thanks so much for hanging out on the Meat Meat Podcast with me, Ryan Rainbow. Check out bonus episodes, including an extended conversation with Mike Ransom from Edema about their self-titled album, on Patreon.com/slash Meet Pod. Buy the T-shirt, meetmeet.bigcartel.com. Money back guarantee that it's comfier than your Furnace Fest T-shirt. And as always, new episodes constantly coming as i release them this is meep meep and yes that's the best that i could come up with bye